Welcome everyone. Thanks for joining us once again for our weekly webinar series, Successful Strategies for Shaping Your Future, brought to you in partnership by Club Solutions and Rex Executive Roundtables. This week we're focusing on mental health for fitness pros. I'm Brent Darden and uh, this session is sponsored by Kabaja Concepts. They're a cinematic storytelling uh, company. And if you're looking to do videos for your company, they'd be a great uh, group to reach out to. Today, uh, we have our returning panelist and guest, as always, Blair McCaney, who's the CEO of MXM and the owner of the Works of Wenatchee, Bill McBride, who's co-founder, president, and CEO of Active Wellness Company, uh, a long-lost uh, friend, Meriden Zerner, who I worked with uh, quite a while ago, and she works now with the Cooper Clinic. She's a registered dietitian and a certified wellness coach. And then uh, probably don't need a lot of introduction for this uh, power couple, uh, Victor and Lynn Brick. Uh, Lynn is the president and Victor is the director of Mirth uh, for Planet Fitness International or Planet Fitness Growth Partners, I should say. And then they both are co-founders of the John W. Brick Mental Health Foundation. So mental health is near and dear to their hearts. Uh, and we appreciate all of you panelists being on with us today. So first, Meredith, I'm gonna let you introduce yourself uh, to the group and give them a little bit of the perspective about where you're coming from. Tell those that may not be familiar with it, uh, the Cooper Clinic. I know it's world renowned and you know that, but maybe some in the audience are not familiar. Yes, my pleasure. Uh, so the Cooper Clinic is located in Dallas, Texas. It's a preventive medicine facility. It's about 30 acres and the mission is to increase the quantity and quality of people's lives. And with that in mind, the campus hosts um, our research institute and our clinic where I am now and in the fitness center as well as a hotel and a lot of other entities so that we can really serve the needs of our folks in the community but people come in from out of town to get physicals um, all kinds of other testing that can help with their well-being yeah great and if I recall I can't remember this number but it's a staggering number the research uh, the Cooper Institute is a research depository and there's so many person years of data collected on the longevity of life and how that relates to illness and good health and uh, do you know that number off the top of your head I know I'm kind of throwing you under the bus here but I mean it's well, some staggering I, I, number. I still believe it is the largest repository of uh, research and data on fitness and well-being right. and we've got about 50 years of collected data over more than 250,000 patients, and that could be an underestimation, but we've got a lot of data, and I'm a science girl, so a master's degree in nutritional science, you know, as well as the wellness coach and a few other elements that allow me to uh, speak to the subject today, but science, I love it. Okay, thank you, Meriden. All right, uh, and uh, Briggs, both of you, uh, give us a little bit of introduction about uh, the, the planet, and then tell us about the foundation for sure. Alrighty, well, I'll start, and as you said, I'm the director of Mirth, but I'm also in the fitness industry known as Mr. Lynn Brick, but I am the CEO of Planet Fitness Growth Partners, which is the largest privately held Planet Fitness franchise in the Planet Fitness franchise system. There are 2,300 Planet Fitness franchises, uh, clubs. We own 75 of them. We own them in Maryland, D.C., Florida, Tennessee, uh, Seattle, Washington, well, Washington, state of Washington, and we also own them in, in now Australia. We are also the founders of the John W. Brick Mental Health Foundation, who's named after my brother John, who's suffered from schizophrenia his entire life, 
and we believe was misdiagnosed, mis not misdiagnosed, but mis uh, poorly uh, handled in terms of his uh, program. So the mission is treatment program. So the mission of the John W. Brick Mental Health Foundation is to fund, is to change the way the world treats mental health by funding and promoting evidence-based research on how healthy lifestyle choices such as exercise, nutrition, and mind-body practices benefit mental health resiliency. Okay, that's great. Yeah. If, if uh, people want to find out a little bit more about that foundation, Victor, where would they go? They would go to the John W. Brick Foundation.org. John W. Brick Foundation.org. Yep. Great. Well, thank you uh, all again for uh, being on the panel oh, today. I think Lynn. Oh, Lynn, you, uh, I left you out. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm a former shock trauma nurse, and uh, I have my master's degree in health and wellness coaching with an emphasis in nutrition, Meriden. So uh, we come from the same kind of uh, background. And uh, I, Victor and I are also the founders and co-owners of Brick Bodies. But, but Vicki Brick, who's been on this panel many times, has, is the CEO. She's really involved in the Brick Body Show. Uh, and in, in addition to being very involved as president and of PFGP, our, our Planet Fitness Franchise Group, I sit on several committees and have served on several boards. But some of the committees that I sit on for Planet Fitness is the Fitness Member Engagement Committee and Fitness Delivery and all this kind of stuff. But more importantly, we, Victor and I also sit on the Johns Hopkins Hospital Board of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences. Okay, great. So the, the Briggs have been uh, kind enough to sort of share this slide with us to set the stage for our discussions today. So we have some other questions we're going to get into, but uh, I really like this. It's sort of a visual for the audience. Uh, so Victor, do you want to go ahead and tell us sort of what the audience is seeing here in this slide and walk us through that a little bit? Sure. So this graph shows the psychological phases in crisis and disaster. In other words, how the general public reacts to crisis and disaster. It was developed by Dr. George Everly, a good friend of ours, who is a, a, uh, on the uh, board of psychiatry. Well, actually, he's in the school of psychiatry at Johns Hopkins, and he's one of the foremost authorities in the world on pandemics and crisis and disaster. And basically, every crisis and disaster follows the same general emotional response from the public. You're going along, things are great. Then the, and when you look at this, think in terms of World War II, think in terms of 9-11, it's probably the most relevant to what we're going through now, 9-11. You're going along, you know there's a threat, terrorism, pandemic, but you're thinking, I won't hit us, then all of a sudden it hits. And there's this immediate drop in everybody's gut and your emotional well-being. But then everybody, especially in this country, we pull together. We're going to beat the Japanese. We're going to beat the Germans. We're going to take care of this terrorist thing. We're going to beat this pandemic. We're going to pull together. And you go through this honeymoon phase where everybody says, and they say the same thing. How many times did you hear it? We're all in this together. And we all think it's going to be three months. We all think it's going to be six months. And it lags to eight months with no end in sight. And we begin to go in this gradual decline into what I call the valley of disillusionment. And once we hit rock bottom, and people, we have not hit rock bottom with this pandemic. Once we hit rock bottom, we start the recovery. And you see that the recovery is a lot longer than the demise. So what, I'm, what, what, I wanna, what we wanted to do today was set the stage for the rest of our comments. We are still going down. 
into this valley of disillusionment. It is all of our jobs to prevent that valley from getting so deep that it takes a tremendous amount. The, 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 the less we go into the valley, the quicker we'll come out. So with that, uh, as a framework, I think it kind of relates to every other question we're gonna have today. How do we deal with the valley of disillusionment? Yeah, great, Victor. Thank you. Thanks for setting the stage for us today. Uh, Meriden, I'll let you respond to that first. Any thoughts uh, building on that? Ooh, many. Um, in, but if I could begin, however, with, with an apology, because I, I, you know, when you all wash your car, it rains, right? It's a given. And so I'm thinking that this whole COVID thing is probably my fault in that I just spent the last year excessively um, researching the term nutritional psychiatry. And so it seems as soon as I got a great handle on how we can support people, as Victor said, um, not only with nutrition, but with exercise and uh, with mental health um, tools, whether it's yoga, meditation, mindfulness, got all this research done and then wham, but that means we're ready with some of these choices um, and ideas that people can tap, strategies. So in terms of that valley as a wellness coach first and foremost i'm going to remind folks that you have been in valleys before and that you have um persevered you have triumphed and to really look back at the strength and the skills and the support and the community that got you out of that 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 is still in you it is still available to you and you even have this particular community to rely on and to get ideas from and so um, just a reminder that you have been in tough spots before and you have chutzpah, you have that inner strength and tools to tap to maybe lessen the intensity of that or to get you out of that valley faster. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been saying for a while and one of the reasons we picked this topic, uh, and then I'll let Blair and Bill kind of weigh in a little bit, but you know, the people that I speak with on the roundtables and through the Earth's organization, the club operators out there and the suppliers, they're all hurting, right? Uh, they're in the pandemic, like, you know, all of us are around the world, but most of the people I speak with also own a business. And with that comes, you know, uh, uncertainty about the viability of the business, financial constraints, uh, having to lay employees off, having to make really tough decisions. Uh, so just on top of the pandemic and everything that's going on in the rest of their lives, they're really stressed uh, to a large extent. And so it really just adds on a whole nother layer for those people that are in those prominent positions, those leadership positions. Yeah, they're feeling more pressure. I think the American Psychiatric Association did a stat a poll in May showing 62% of Americans were highly anxious, really experiencing extraordinary anxiety. I can only imagine it would be that much more um, stressful and powerful for those who are in, in charge of other employees and trying to you know, help them keep their jobs. Right. Um, imagine if you already went into this with a predisposition, you already had anxiety, you already had depression, you already had some mental health challenges and how um, devastating and challenging that could be. And yet we have tools. We have things that we can do on a daily basis that can shift the chemistry. Right, so we're gonna come back to some of these tools and, and what we do, but before we do that, I'm gonna let Blair and Bill weigh in on uh, their perspective on the, just this topic in general and how important it is for us to address it for the benefit of our listeners. Go ahead, Blair. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting as, as Victor was taking us through that and that valley is sort of like how a society collectively goes through. You can you can kind of map that to you just as an individual, right? I mean, how you are, you know, how you're following that exact um, path. Uh, Meriden's saying, you know, that you've been through this before. And, and I'll tell you that the minute this hit, my psyche went right back to the last financial crisis, right when we, you know, took on a bunch more debt, and opened another club and opened on, you know, July 1 of, of 2008, you know, like a horrible time to open. And I can remember, you know, like some of the tools that that I had to draw on. I'll just tell you that the first thing for me is is I, I don't know what a human would do without working out and working out hard. Like that is, I don't know how I would get through that time, this time and, and people, you know, they just announced by the way that clubs in New Jersey will be opening at 25% capacity starting September 1st. So my clubs are still not open in central Washington. We're going on six months and we will be the last clubs in the country, possibly the world to open here in central Washington. So, so you have, you have six months of looking at that. Then from the MXM standpoint, all of our customers got shut off too. And, you know, they have to, so, you know, I learned that I taught myself something from the book, um, Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. And, uh, and sort of the, the, the mantra that comes of that, out of that for me is this, this is going to be an epic comeback. And, and he talks about being in this world of so much stress and anxiety and fear, he felt his purpose had to be to be successful so that he could tell that story and coach maybe and mentor other people. I think of that every day. And for me, that's been so incredibly helpful. If, if things are bad and they get worse, just say, well, then this is going to be an even more epic comeback. And it has been, been a sense of inspiration for me personally. Right. Yeah. Good stuff, Larry. I agree about the working out part. I <laughs> uh, just don't know how people do it without having that uh, help balance them a little bit. Okay, yeah. Bill, what are your thoughts? You're oh, on I mute, Bill. God. What are you doing? First webinar, dude? <laughs> yeah, I'm just learning. Um, I'll tell you how people are coping, Blair, without the exercise piece. I mean, um, mm -hmm. there's a 34% increase in. Uh, in um, anxiety medication, and uh, you know, one in one in six people are taking meds. Alcohol consumption and alcohol hospitalizations are at an all-time high. Um, you know, so people are coping in unhealthy ways when they're not using um, the essential services that we provide as an industry. Um, so, you know, I think uh, Victor teed us up beautifully. Um, Meriden said some great stuff. Um, I won't take up a lot of airtime, you know, right now on this one, but uh, but we're at a, we're at a crisis in America right now with regard to anxiety, depression, and uh, uh, um, medication, opioid use, um, antidepressant use, and and I believe in medications for mental illness um, and and mental health in cases where it's needed, um, but I also think that uh, it should be part of a a balanced approach where you're using healthy alternatives, you know, first and foremost as your solution. So, um, you know, we have an obligation to our teams um, and that carries over to our members. Um, so uh, I just think it's, uh, this is a big deal and we got to take it seriously. And I commend Lynn and Victor for the work they're doing with the foundation. Yeah, I'd like so, to add onto that and kind of piggyback off of Meriden, what Meriden had shared is that 
we look at mental health and mental wellness as part of a continuum. And on the one end, you have happiness. And on the, uh, in the middle range, let's say, if you were gonna give it a scale of one to 10, 10 would be happiness. Mid-range, about five, four, five, six, would be mood disorders and mild anxiety. And at the opposite end would be uh, maybe perhaps a one with severe psychosis, severe depression, and potentially even suicide. And at any point in time, people move up and down this continuum. And based on life's uh, experiences and based on physiology, how your brain is compiled, and psychology, what's happening in your world. You move up and down this continuum. Yeah, in, internal and external. Exactly. So uh, we, we believe that you know, there are tools that are very helpful for yourself personally and also your team and other people that you are, can help to influence that can help you move up, shift. But because you move up and down this continuum, at any point in time, all of us, every single one of us will experience some mental health issue. This is not a cold, this is not heart disease where you, you get either have it or you don't, you get rid of it, you're done. You move, you can go from happiness, think of us. What, which of you guys weren't having a great January? Phenomenal January. Hey, what's your May like? We went from the top of the world as an industry to the bottom that quickly. And you can't tell me your mood didn't change. And we're all nines and tens. Just think you were six or seven. Now you're three or four. And if you were three or four, you're a one. And that's why suicide rate's going up. The thing message we got to get across to everybody, everyone will have mental health challenges at some point in their life. And right now, for most of us, is that time and in addition to that the mental health issues and it, it's known as the secondary or the parallel pandemic to covid they call it the, the parallel, parallel pandemic. and victor uh, I, he sits on the board for the global wellness summit and this is a, a great organization where multiple industries medical the medical world the spa world and now the fitness world are joining together, collaborating together on how we can help eradicate uh, disease. And their focus this year is on mental health. It, it's it's uh, estimated that at any given time, 27% of Americans, 27% suffer from a clinically diagnosed mental health illness. They now say it's in the 40s. And what does they consider that? Medication, seeing a psychotherapist, getting official medical help. 40% of the United States, and it's going higher as we go deeper into that. Battle. Hey, Victor, yeah. so, and 37% of the people that are suffering from very severe do not seek any type of treatment. Exactly, and here's the other thing. One uh, exercise, a, a, a vigorous exercise bout is the equivalent of an entry-level dose of Zoloft. So it is medicine, it's exactly what you're saying. And that's the whole function of the John W. Brickman Health Foundation, the reason we got involved in 60 years of my brother's treatment, never once was he put on a totally integrated program, exercise, nutrition, healthy lifestyle choices, and medication. There were times when John needed that medication. There's homeless guys you see out on the street. My brother was homeless. I would drive around DC and find him down at DuPont Circle sitting on a wall with nothing but a pair of pants and a pair of shorts on. So when he got like that, he needed his meds. But there were times when if he had been on a healthy lifestyle choice program, maybe he wouldn't have gotten down there. And that's where we come in. We are the spear 
the beginning of the healthcare delivery system. The meds are the last resort, the last resort, and we've got it totally flipped. They're the first thing, you go to anybody and complain about depression. The first thing they will put you on is medication. Right, yeah, well said. So Meriden, answer for the audience. Uh, what are some of the signals and signs that you know would lead to people that, hey, we need to give a little more attention to our self-care? And they, and they are many, um, you know, but Dr. Cooper, who founded Cooper Clinic, would say exercise is medicine, and that's really first and foremost. And so when we look at an individual, and maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a coworker, and you're seeing um, that they uh, have lost interest in certain activities, maybe they um, even just perception-wise, they seem kind of low energy. Uh, maybe they're talking about having extraordinary sleep issues. I mean, and it can be multifactorial. Ultimately, you'll just notice some subtleties that are gonna be off, kind of not their usual um, behavior. And as you all mentioned, maybe they're drinking more, maybe there's some other you know, poor choices um, versus what they would have done. All of that is really where you get the a psychiatrist or the psychologist to kind of you know, speak to that in more detail, but these are some things that normal human beings are gonna recognize in the people around them. And to be able to let go of any sort of stigma and ask some questions, it's not just, hey, how you doing? It's, hey, what's going on? And what are you feeling? And what are you experiencing? And really open the door to that conversation. I don't think we do that often in the corporate environment as much. And now is really the time. I mean, it was probably the time years ago as well, but this is a really critical time to have those conversations, even quietly, to see if there's opportunity for help, for connection. Okay, Bill, I'm sorry, sir, I didn't quite see you down there. What, you had something yeah, to I, I just, I just wanted to build on one more comment on what Victor was sharing. You can do everything right, for your mental wellness and your mental health and still need medication. Um, and so people should not be ashamed or shy away from getting treatment. Um, your brain, your body may just not make enough of some of the hormones you need, serotonin being one of them for a lot of anxiety. And there is no shame in taking uh, a med that helps balance out your chemicals to make you um, have less anxiety or depression. But to Victor's point, it shouldn't be the first and only solution. It should be um, part of taking care of yourself holistically. I just wanted to mention the medication is not a bad thing and is often very necessary for folks. Yeah. Chemistry, it's truly chemistry. Yep. You know, I, I gotta I, I jump in for a second because it is interesting. Like if you if if you've been going through and and as, as Victor is kind of explaining this continuum and and yeah, you know, I mean, you could be going along swimmingly, right? And then you then you find yourself in almost this sort of low grade white noise of anxiety going on all the time, and it can kind of start to consume your days. And I find like, like I, I train very early in the morning. I train, I usually start before 5 a.m. I train for about an hour and a half. And it is amazing. There isn't, there isn't a day that I don't do that where I don't feel like, well, this is something I can control. And so I, it's, it's interesting how, 
you know, as I'm as I'm listening to everybody talk, and you're and I'm trying to like really personalize it to to me, like what does this do for me? And every time, every time I train, and especially like Victor was talking about an intense bout of exercise, especially when I train, it's if it's if it's deadlift day, if it's squat day or something like that, man, I'll tell you, that's you say, I can control something, and if I can control something, this is what I'm going to control. I it seems to me like that is maybe a, a starting point for sort of general healthy thinking. It, it seems like that to me, right? Like maybe that's a starting point of, you know, you show some self-discipline, it helps with some self-esteem, some self-respect and, you know, but, um, but that's literally, I feel that every single day when I train. I think you have to say something, then I, I want to jump in after you, Lenny. Well, I was Go just going to say that, you know, that establishing routines is, and rhythms is really critical for everyone's biorhythms and uh just like the sunrises and the sunsets it's important to establish that rhythm um with some people like as bill shared some people need that extra boost to help get them out of bed to start feeling as good as you do blair when you do exercise on a regular basis so establishing the rhythm and the routine uh for any for ourselves personally as also our our team uh it's really critical have any of you guys heard that uh commencement speech by Admiral McRaven, the head of the Navy SEALs to the University of Texas. He yep. the, the, the head of one of the fiercest fighting units in the history of the world gave 10 secrets of being a Navy SEAL. Number one, do you remember number one, guys? Make your bed. Make your bed. Why, Blair? Exactly what you said. You have control over your day. I wish we could show you our bedroom. We make our bed every morning. It gives you control over your day you've done something positive there's a reason for that the second thing is the problem with many people i tried exercise and it doesn't help it has to be positive stress we are doing a 1.3 million dollar study with the university of california san francisco researching the benefits of positive stress in the Wim Hof method the breathing cold showers high intensity interval training and meditation, three modalities, 50, 50 uh, subjects in each, and how it affects the vagus nerve. The recovery of the vagus nerve uh, is an indication of how well you handle stress. And resilience. And, and resilience, I'm sorry, resilience. Res it, it, both are the same. And the, the research is about to be introduced at the Global Wellness Summit in October, and the findings are astounding. And the bottom line is, the body responds to positive stress. If you can bench 100 pounds and all you ever bench is 100 pounds, all you will ever bench is 100 pounds. You've got to, every now and then, you gotta walk a little faster, you gotta jog a little harder. You don't have to train like maybe you do, Blair, or some of the rest of us, but, but you've got to go into positive stress and the body responds and you get stronger. So uh, I couldn't agree with what you're saying. And, adaptation. Uh, it's just the principles of adaptation. Exactly. Well, I love uh, Michelle Seeger's book, uh, No Sweat. I'm sure many of you are familiar with that. And she talks about the mindset of exercise is a gift. It's not a chore. It's a gift and a reward to yourself. And I think coaching people to view it in that way, you know, is something great to do if you can get them to uh, realize it and see it in that light. Meredith, and you're nodding your head. Go ahead. Well, and I, it, around the idea of mindset, um, and especially for you all who are 
in essence, the the link to so many people for for helping them with their well-being and be it the fitness or or other aspects of their health. And so you get to you have to put out more energy and all that. And with this dip, even for myself, with that responsibility, you know, waking up and and making sure that my mindset is in the right place, I've needed some help. And so I have tapped tools like um, UC Berkeley's got the Greater Good Science Center. And this is a not-for-profit arm that studied the science of gratitude. So I would go there almost daily to get some positive insight, maybe a quote, maybe a, a quiz, maybe an article. Um, Yale has a free course that people can take, the science of well-being, which by the way, number one is connection. Um, you know, Duke Preventive Medicine. I've just been tapping some of these tools even to help get my mind straight, to get make sure that I'm in a better place to be able to serve others better as well. And so for all of us, thinking about these tools and our own self-care, are you getting enough sleep? Um, you know, would some L-methylfolate and some magnesium at night support your brain chemistry? Um, in addition to a medicine if needed, really looking at, are you taking care of you so that you can take care of others in your industry and, and just in your care as, as, a, as an employer. Yep, I liken it to uh, putting your oxygen mask on first, so then you can help other people, just as airline attendants always remind us. Yeah, one of our uh, listeners is posting on the chat box, uh, what about these uh, emotional feeling charts next to your RPE and heart rate charts you got posted in your club? What do you think about that suggestion? I like it. Being able to identify your feelings, even as it relates to like emotional eating, to be um, able to figure out I am mad or I am frustrated or I am, um, you know, uh, sad. Any of those emotions to be able to even identify them is that first step in management as opposed to, oh, it'll be fine. And then it's not so fine. Maybe I need yeah. that on the refrigerator door, really. You know, it's, uh, yeah. it, it, it's interesting. Like if you can, step away and identify some of your own behaviors. And, and so Meriden was talking about, you know, watching other people and, and, and seeing when their behaviors like isn't normal. I, I, it's, it's interesting if you can actually try to do that yourself. And I think it takes a, a real high level of self-awareness. I, I identify certain things for me when stress is high, I become more forgetful about very small things. And when that starts to happen, I've got to kind of reconnect about, I don't know, maybe a month and a half, two months like, ago. Like this. calling your friend Bill back? Yeah. It, oh, shoot. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. about a couple of months ago, Bill was talking about um, a parking spot in front of a, in front of a store. And the guy came out and was, and said something to Bill and Bill yelled back at him and, and, and he was, he was really angry. And he, he said, but Bill, recognize he said man that's just not a normal behavior for me like i'm feeling different stress and he went in and apologized to the guy and they had they had a very different conversation i think that's really important if you can do something like that and what you're describing there and and victor and lynn can speak to this in more detail is this is the science of mindfulness this is what you can glean from uh, a, a more consistent meditation practice and it doesn't have to be an hour in a room by yourself there are these tools for five minutes. Uh, there's moving meditations. There's other ways to be mindful, but this is the science of mindfulness that can lower blood pressure, that can help uh, with emotions and anxiety. So uh, Victor and Lynn, you can speak to that even more, but this is one of the major tools that we could tap right now. 
Absolutely. Good. I was just going to say uh, one of the initiatives that the JWB is uh, putting together is it starts October 1, goes for 10 days, 10 minutes, 10 days, and it leads up to Global Wellness Day, which is October 10th, 2020. So, and there are 20 reasons why this is really important to move your mental health every single day for just 10 minutes. And so there are, uh, we have researchers that are going to also speak on this uh, this broadcast and it, it will be through the JWB and also social media. But it, some of the tools that are, are very important are just things like laughing and uh, being very mindful and focusing on, focusing on the inside and mindfulness and meditation, but also being aware of your observer self when things seem off, like you did though. So, so uh, observantly, we're able to recognize, wait, this is not my normal behavior. This is not the way this doesn't feel right to me. And then making an action plan. And, and more on what you said, uh, Meriden, we were actually working with the Johns Hopkins uh, psychiatrist who has a, 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 a product called um, Mood 24-7. Mood 24-7. And every day you rate your mood. And ideally, in the perfect world, this would be connected to your caregiver, whether it be your father, your uh, a friend, or your therapist, and if you get on a, again a scale of one to ten, ten being happy, one being suicidal, if you're going from an eight 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 to a five four five four five four, all of a sudden one you have to say to yourself, "Wow, I'm slipping," and two, your caregiver can. Tracking your mood is kind of like think about it. Tracking your weight. People say weigh yourself once a month. Bullshit. Excuse my French. You weigh yourself once a month. You can be ten pounds off. You better weigh yourself every day. Every day you got to get on that scale. How do you gain weight? A half a pound at a time. How does your mood slip except for traumatic And they slip. And we, we, I'm sure all of us have had ups and downs in this pandemic. And it wasn't one day happy, the next day miserable. It was so. That's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, the. Um, the uh, concept of breathing is as old as yoga, yeah. but never has breathing stood on its own. It's always been breathing with yoga, breathing with Wim Hof, breathing with sports training, breathing with, there's a whole movement afoot now of the science of just breathing, breathing sake and how to do it. And they are finding out that breathing does change your physiology depending on how you do it. And I am literally, you should, you should bring that up, Meredith, because I'm starting to immerse myself into breathing because there's implications that it has tremendous value for altering your mental state, which, like I said, yoga kind of touched on and some of these other meditations kind of touched on, but as part of that meditation, not as breathing unto itself. So more to follow on that, but the science of breathing is a big focus area right now. And the most beautiful thing about that, everybody breathes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if they can't get out and take their walk, which I really hope they can at least get, you know, 10 minutes, we say walk the dog, whether you have one or not, but everybody can breathe. And whether it's box breathing, or I want to say it's like seven, seven by four by eight breathing, all these things out there. And it is even an easy Google search and lowering the blood pressure, the stress response, um, absolutely part of quality and quantity of life and something you're in control of. 
I so Mary, you mentioned a few uh, resources for people that they could go to online. Uh, is there a book or uh, about managing your own stress that anybody on the panel would recommend? And I'll let you go first, Meriden. There are many. Literally, what is propping up my computer right now so that I can be more at eye level is John Kabat-Zinn's um, Full Catastrophe Living. It's holding my plat my. Ironically, it's holding my laptop up. So he is considered the father of mindfulness. Um, he's got a lot of great resources. The, the breathing piece, gosh, that is an easy Google search. And I have a few more, but I think that's the one obviously that pops to mind because it's right here. Okay, full capacity. Full catastrophe. Make sure I've got it. Full catastrophe living. Living. Okay, got it. Thank you. Go ahead, Victor, I cut you off. Oh, no, that, that's okay. I'll train of thought. Okay. I, I have some books that I'll, I'll send you, and that way we can include with the post, include with the post notes. Uh, but I was also going to piggyback off of Meriden's list of, of, of free online courses, and UPenn's course on resilience is incredible. It's a great self-assessment tool, plus you're able to interact with other students that are, it's a free online course. Free, free. all course, UPenn. Lynn, can you pronounce that again for everybody? Oh, yeah, it's the University of Pennsylvania course on resiliency or resilience. Very good. Go ahead, Meriden. Well, you can. They're known for a study of positive psychology, which is, hey, we're in it now. What's okay now? As, a, as opposed to spending a lot of time perseverating about what's not great, really trying to find, okay, what's okay what, now that we can build on? And they also have a lot of cool. Um, sort of even personality tests that could be helpful right now that are free. And you'll remember UPenn to get there. Um, and you can also get there by www.authentichappiness. We'll also get you there, uh, same same site, but um, I just love that idea, authentic happiness. Bill, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna take us back a little bit. Um, you know, in basic sales you know, psychology, a lot of people have a, a higher level of fear of loss than they do for a desire of gain. And right now, people's fear of loss is amplified to a great degree. And um, and we all know that with a lack of information, people tend to make it up. Um, so Lynn's, Lynn and Victor's point about routines and rhythms, um, I'm thinking about kids, right? I've got three young kids. You know, we always like our kids to be on certain routines and they seem to respond better when they're on those routines. And so for ourselves and our team members, we can put those same tactics into play, routines on set meeting schedules, routine, you know, things that people can count on. And what we're going through right now is not normal. Um, you know, when we want to punish a prisoner in the, in, the, in, the, in the prison community, we put them in isolation. You know, it's not, isolation's not, not normal. Um, the uncertainty's at an all-time high. People are worried about losing their car, their house, uh, if they're going to have a job, if they're going to be able to retire when they hope to be able to, if they're going to be able to pay for their kids' college. You know, we're, we're at a time now where um, everybody's got their own story, but there's no one that's not affected. And so um, understanding that um, going into this with, uh, with our team members, you know, we may be worried about losing our business or the future growth of our business. Our team members might be worried about losing their home or not sending their kid to college, right? So um, 
that uh, that understanding of, of uh, fear of loss and lack of information, people make it up, and and what people are dealing with is is traumatic. Um, so I just want to kind of frame that as how do you tactically um, support those in your life, friends, family, coworkers, you know, employees around what they're dealing with. So, uh, can I tag, tag on to what Bill said, uh, Brent? Yeah. You know, we we look at the at, at the situation as the thing that fills the gap between the known. There's a pandemic. We're all shut down. My business is closed. And the unknown. I don't know when it's going to open. I don't know how bad it's going to be. I don't know. Is fear. If you let it. The thing that fills the gap between the known and the unknown is fear. And this unknown right now is so systemic, it's so prevalent in every aspect of life that the fear is overwhelming. And when we started the foundation, we our folk, main focus was depression because schizophrenia was too clinical and happiness was kind of too vague. And we found out that depression is the byproduct of stress. Stress is the root cause of most mental health issues, which is why people are getting depressed, but it's because of the stress. We have to alleviate that stress. Part of alleviating the stress is getting into a routine, a, having an anchor, making your bed, working out, uh, having a sense of normalcy. We always did this and we can continue to do that. We substitute the Grover class for walking and the park or whatever it is, but some source of normalcy and somehow relieve that stress. Hence, all of these education courses by universities and by colleges, they're trying to educate, they're trying to fill that gap of fear with education. We will get through it. And that's Victor, why we have to be healthy. Victor, where would you put helplessness in there? Because for me, fear and helplessness go hand in hand. And I think a lot of people feel helpless right now. How would you frame helplessness? I think helplessness, again, like depression, is a byproduct of fear. Think about it. Fear paralyzes you. We've all been athletes. We've all had games where we were fearless. There have been other games who are, oh, my God, and you, you just freeze. And fear paralyzes you, and that's the helplessness. I lost my job. I can't help my family. I feel helpless, but it's the stress of losing the job. It doesn't come first. So that's what I would say. And it's clearly real. Yeah, one of the uh, questions from our audience is, what are your perspectives of the group on uh, sort of peer support when you're going through these things, having groups of people, small groups that you can talk about things openly with? You know, that's one of the great values of the Rex roundtables that often get overlooked. Yeah, they have great ideas. There's great minds there and they're sharing business uh, opportunities and strategies, but it's also a group of people that cares about you individually. Uh, and then you can talk about some of the challenges you're going through at times. And so it's an emotional support group, truly, as well. Uh, but those of you that are more involved in this, uh, or anyone, Blair, you as well, can speak to that. Go ahead. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that that's probably number one with the, with the roundtable. People that are in like situations and the emotional support from it is, uh, you know, over the years for me. So it's my 15th, 16th year on, on roundtable two. And it is amazing how much emotional support comes from that. I mean, there's certainly the business acumen and the and the sense of urgency to get better. But I it it feels like for me personally that the things that um, 
that keep you that can turn maybe fear into a bit more fearlessness of just being able to identify what action you can take and constantly identifying the action you can take and i and i and i've seen our entire industry mobilize really well and people taking actions and these fitness alliances getting stood up and um and people not just sit, sitting back you know if you have to feel like you can make, take what uh, you know if I can't take a full step forward, it'll be a half a step. If it's not a half, it's a quarter, but it's something. I'm gonna shuffle forward somehow and take some action. I think these peer groups are a huge part of that. It's just, you know, I'll say this, reading a freaking book is a form of action, but just don't, just don't sit there. You know, now, I'm, I'm saying that from my viewpoint without really recognizing that there are probably people and, and you know, that, might need something to get them to where they can take action. But but I think these peer groups are are incredibly important. If you can if you can be in one and have it be consistent, consistency is really important. For Rex, I think it's been the time when you spend actually physical space and time together, you know, where you're with each other and people greet each other with a hug. And you I think that's incredibly important for times like this when you really need to lean on your peers, you know, and that's been, I, I, so I think that's extremely powerful. I have a question for Meredith go ahead, Bill. Just real quick. I mean, if I want to learn something, I commit to teaching it down the road. Um, right. If I want to, every time I reach out to help somebody, I feel better. So when you talk about peer to peer, reach out to somebody that you can help make their day better. And your day will be better you know the basic you know service heart mentality but when you talk about peer-to-peer -peer, helping someone else makes me feel good yeah so Meredith, my question is coming uh from the audience a little bit i'm sure you're going to disagree with that but they're suggesting nutrition might play a role in this stress management well i mean i don't think that's the science is going to bear that out but we'll see um so the uh yes and you know, intuitively, I think we know that, um, but science, they did a SMILES trial, which I love that was the name of it. And they found that with the utilization of a more Mediterranean style diet, that they were able to reduce depressive symptoms by about 32% versus 8% of placebo. Well, at the end of the day, more of a Mediterranean style diet happens to be anti-inflammatory, um, which inflammation creates a stress response in the body and since the body can't always recognize is the stress mental or physical because it's kind of an integrated synergistic circuit right if we can manage the diet quality a little bit better even a 1.5 percent level of dehydration can increase our sense of anxiety so we can do a little bit more with our, our hydration like I said, maybe we uh, need to add in some magnesium at night if we don't eat a lot of magnesium-rich foods, which are natural vasodilators. Now I'm getting all nerdy, but that enhanced blood flow is good for endurance athletes, but it's great for the relaxation response. So there's opportunity there, and I want to plug these in to help get that better night of sleep, to add in the exercise, which we know is a huge tool. I believe it's prescribed in the European Union before a Prozac or some of the other SSRIs and whatnot, and, and certainly as an adjunct, and then we see what we need. And maybe it is medication, absolutely, or maybe it's a smaller dose, knowing that we're gonna have these holistic um, integrated pieces. Uh, along those lines, 
what's, what we've found out, we, the science has found out, chronic inflammation causes chronic pain. Chronic pain leads to depression, just stands to reason. So if you improve your diet, a la anti-inflammatory, or not anti, but non-inflammatory, low sugar, low alcohol, low coffee, you go right down the list, anybody can look them up. There's, you know, the list is always the same. You'll reduce your chronic inflammation, which will reduce your chronic pain, which will help your mood. Not to mention the fact that there's belief that inflammation in the brain restricts blood flow to certain parts of the brain, which aid in cognitive thought. If you do an electronic imaging of a brain with somebody like my brother, who, by the way, scored perfect on his SATs, he was one of those brilliant guys that couldn't hold a job, you, you know the type, you would scan his brain and they did it, you would see no electrical activity in certain parts of the brain and they, nobody's ever figured out why this is one of the 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 mysteries of, of the mental health but there's some uh, um, school of thought that reduce circulation to certain parts of the brain reduce cognitive certainly in alzheimer's by the way and and in uh alzheimer's and what's the other um dementia 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 yeah all the dementias and by the way science today i'm not such a nerd um, but this is August 17th, 2020, and it was a new study, and I can tell you the, the uh, journal article, but they're saying, hey, baby boomers face greater cognitive decline than previous generations, in part because of a lot of what we're talking about, which is the poor diet quality and lack of activity and things that we are in control of, and there's no perfect, and I do think we need to let go of that idea um, in these particular times, but in general, but it's just moving in that direction. But yes, in terms of the cognitive capabilities and the dementias, we can influence that with movement and with food choices um, and maybe push back against what would have been previously thought to be like, well, that's just your family history. Right. So a important uh, question from the audience again, or a, or a compliment to the panelists, particularly Bill and Blair, who've been on it every week. Uh, they're saying this is a support group right here. Uh, and they're thanking us very much. They, they're on it every single week and they're glad to hear that, you know, we're all facing these challenges and, and we're vulnerable about that as well. And so kudos to all of you on the panel and thank you for those listening uh, for being part of that. And then second, they're also asking before we get off the call, we've got about 10 minutes left. Um, you know, we, we're preaching to the choir and all of us here and probably most of us listening know that nutrition and exercise are important and that's an important component of managing your stress and your health. They're also asking if they're running and leading an organization, how might they help their teammates uh, and their employees through this time? So have you done anything within your organizations or can you recommend something to them? Well, while we were closed, uh, we had a daily, all we called it the all-hands team huddle. And uh, we would include uh, five to 10 minutes of perhaps of some motivation and inspiration. And well, every Monday, Victor and I would lead that. And then we go to 20 minutes of exercise. So it was 30 minutes total uh, on the other subsequent days of the week, the they would share who would be leading. So some of the managers who had never ever taught a fitness program or been that as engaged in fitness as a man in their more in the management role had the opportunity then to lead fitness and they it was just incredibly helpful all the way around not only to get the communication it was sometimes we had over 200 people on our zoom calls 
And so that everyone was engaged, everyone was communicating with each other, so happy to see one another. And we did that every single day, Monday through Friday. Uh, in addition to that, we now continue to provide for them a corny joke of the day. <laughs> go ahead, tell them the corny joke. Okay, so here you go. You ready for one? Yes. What happened to the cow when it tried to jump over the barbed wire fence? What happened to the cow when it tried to jump over the barbed wire fence? Utter destruction. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Can I add to that? Can I add to that? Yeah. And then I'll tell you about what Cooper Aerobics did. But here, this is, this. okay, here we go. Um, why did the fungi have to pay double bus fare? He takes up too much room. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but the fun thing is, what we do with this is we, uh, first, I was sending them all out. Now, I don't have to send anything out. Every day, somebody says, That's a good one. I got one. And we're getting a sense of connectivity totally unrelated. What does that do with work? Nothing. There's nothing better than laughter. There is. And, and here's a funny thing about laughter. And Lynn has taught laughter yoga, and we're incorporating that into part of our treatment. They've shown that laughter changes your physiology, not your mental state, your physiology, even when you're faking it, right. even when you fake it. And if you've ever taken a laugh yoga class with Lynn, we'll do it for 50 to 100 of our staff and they'll all start out being, oh, ha, ha, ha. And by the 10 minutes, they are literally laughing because they're laughing at themselves, at somebody else. So anything you can do to bring laughter to your staff, do it. That's the biggest thing we can tell you. It's right not. Now. It's not. Laughter. It's not just laughter. Smiling yeah. triggers. It. Yeah. The smiling smiling too. triggers laughter and smiling. But anything you can do to bring laughter and smiling into the day, and it doesn't even have to be work related. Yep. Good. Really good stuff, you guys. Um, so what else? There's two ideas. Bill, have y'all done anything uh, with Active or you know in a survey of employees or any yeah. sort of initiatives that you've launched? We've done some survey stuff and communication. I, you know, I think we go back to what we've been covering. You know, try and have routines that people can count on. Most every insurance plan has a, a, a you know, EAP, an employee assistance program, where they can reach out for support. Um, make sure that that's available, especially when you know somebody's struggling. You know, communicate what you can. You know, what you can. You know, share as much information as you can so people aren't making it up. Be candid. Um, and, you know, I tell my team when I'm having my one-on-ones, you know, if they ask how I'm doing, I tell them the truth. I'm having a bad day, you know, and I, I don't necessarily say it just like that, you know, but we're all having, having to what Victor talked about, a good day and a bad day. You know, I wake up, oh, we got this. And then the next day, I don't want to get out of bed. You know, like, I mean, every day kind of, you know, you go through this roller coaster of emotion, right? So, uh, and I'm not talking about being a weak leader and making people think that you've lost your, your confidence and your direction, but, but showing some amount of candor and vulnerability um, uh, builds trust because if everybody knows, if you, don't, if you don't have anything going on that's stressing you out right now, you're faking it. I mean, you know, you know so showing some vulnerability and, and being real with, with your people, um, you know, goes a long way. Um, but, uh, but, you know, it's our job to figure it out and be confident and, and drive forward and be a support system. So, um, you know, I, I, my big thing is communication, 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 and, uh, and try to fill in as much of that, as Victor calls it, that gap um, of, of the unknown, you know, fill in as much of that as you can. 
Um, so people have a little less gap that they're trying to figure out. Right. And Blair, uh, you know, Bill made a bunch of good points and you're right. You're maybe the last state in the continental U.S. to open health clubs. So you've got some employees that haven't been inside your club in a while unless you're letting them come in and work out, which I think you are. But anyway, what uh, what are those points that Bill made or some of your own? Do you think you should be communicating to those employees that may not be back in the club yet? Because sometimes the clubs still are operating on very limited staff. Yeah, you know, as I'm as I'm listening, the longer you're closed, the harder this gets. I'll tell you, this is six months, right? In a week, it'll be six months that we've been closed. And people have, you know, they've gotten their unemployment. Some people are out doing other things and and you try to use every reach out you can. I will tell you that that starts to dwindle. And but you but you end up seeing who your core is there. So we continue to communicate. I usually do it in videos. I do I just do a lot of brief videos and I'll just kind of speak from the heart and usually right after my workout in, in the morning. So I'm I'm usually like sweaty as hell in all my videos, um, in most of them anyway. Um, so, but well, we, we continue to, to try to reach out. We do let, uh, employees come in and train. They have to, you know, and we're, and it's, a, it's an opportunity to kind of practice some of the protocols, right? They have, we have our log, they have to take their temperature and whatever, and, and, you know, follow everything in our playbook. But, you know, it's not hard when you're like one person in a 30,000 square foot space, right? <laughs> to, uh, to train. So that helps the staff tremendously. I'll tell you that being closed when they can come in and train, it's been a big deal. And, and I do think this, this idea of, of jokes and laughter is sits, sits so close to home for me because my family is just a bunch of practical jokesters. And it's been, uh, that, that's been what's gotten us by many times is just getting on a call with my brothers and you know, you know being the hooligans that they are. And uh, there's a word you, you don't hear very often anymore. Right? That's right. Being the I, I, I want to, because I know we're, we're going to, we need to wrap up and, I've, yeah, you know, yeah. we should hear from others. I, my, my last thing to say is I, I, I feel like a lot of times people really confuse pleasure with happiness or pleasure with fulfillment. And I would just remind people that as you go through this and it, that as you come out of this, the other side, what you're going through right now, I think will really help with you as far as how much, how fulfilled you are. And I, and I, I think a lot of people go to, you know, heavy drinking and everything, because it, it just seems to me like I'm just my layman that people kind of confuse pleasure oftentimes with happiness or fulfillment. I think that's good. So we do have just a couple minutes left. I want to go back to some of our, our experts, of course, the BRICS, because of all their involvement with mental health. What do you hope the audience has heard today and takes with them, uh, Victor or Lynn, either one? Want to go first one? I'll go first. Um, words of encouragement. Uh, well, three things come to mind really. First first and foremost is uh, with yourself and with your staff, be present is the greatest gift. You can to be present and be aware uh, of uh, your, your own personal health and well-being and also in tune with your staff, your team. Be empathetic, empathetic number two. Uh, everyone has their own story, as we talked about previously. And number three, you're never alone. You're never alone. There's always a, a focus group, another group, family members, friends that you can reach out to, especially when you're feeling in the valley. And what I hope is that when you need something to fill that gap between the known and the unknown, reach out. Reach out to us, reach out to your support group, reach out to others because you're never alone. 
And also, I couldn't believe, agree more with Bill, which is rare. I rarely agree with this guy. But when you're <laughs> bummed, do something for others. And here's a challenge. Do something for somebody that can't possibly pay you back. Do something for somebody that can't possibly, you'd be amazed how good you feel. And I'll leave you with one of my favorite quotes, because you've got to have a warrior mentality to get through this. You have to have a warrior mentality. And it's Dylan Thomas speaking to his father, who's sick and about to give up. And he says, and you there, father, there on your sad height, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. When you're in that bed and you don't want to get out, when things are dark, when things are bleak, when you don't think you can all, just say to yourself, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Yeah, good quote, Victor. Thank you. Okay, Meredith, I'm going to let you wrap us up. Go ahead. How can I follow that? <laughs> that's where we fade to black because that's powerful. That's amazing. Thank you, Victor, for that. Um, I would say that a lot of um, what we have done as, as, a, as an entity, um, you can get a lot of the ideas and some of the um, MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction uh, programming and other kinds of things that we've done as a campus at our cooperaerobics.com site. So if you are curious and you're like, hey, what are you guys doing? Let's all brainstorm together and share so we can support each other moving forward. Um, I would say close with this. So Victor said, hey, we got to be warriors, which by the way is a yoga posture. <laughs> and as I end every yoga class, I would say, really, we are just in control of this breath. It's just about win the half day, win the day. So may you be happy and may you be healthy and may you ride the waves of your life no matter what you are given. Okay, very oh. nice. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, I want to thank all the panelists again for being on the webinar today. We're already a couple minutes over. Uh, and I want to Can I share sure. a resource for people? Sure. Um, there's a lot of aggression in the world right now, even around masks and things. Um, the uh, Crisis Prevention Institute has a little video on how to de-escalate stressful situations. And they're encouraging everyone to in the public arena to get some de-escalation skills because things are getting so amped up for people. So de-escalation is another strategy. So check out some videos on de-escalation strategies. Okay, what, what was the website, Bill, again? It's uh, the Crisis Prevention Institute, how to okay. de-escalate stressful situations. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so again, to the, to the audience as we're wrapping up, I want to thank all of you for joining us again this week. Uh, and I want to read one quote for those of you that are on the, on the panel. Absolutely agree on being the best support group and cannot express how much I look forward to joining these webinars every week. Thank all of you very much. Please keep this going. Uh, there's been quite a few of those coming in today. So all the panelists, for those of you listening, just so you know, you know they're volunteering their time, including Bill and Blair, who've been doing this every single week um, because they want to give back. And just as Victor said, you know, they want to help our industry and help you as well. Thanks to the Bricks for joining us today. Thanks to Meriden. Um, and also, I'd be remiss um, if I didn't thank Ursa. Uh, when I asked Ursa about uh, Club Solutions and what do you think about me, you know, broadcasting this webinar from the Ursa conference room, uh, you know, they're kind of frenemies. <laughs> they're in a competitive space. Uh, and yet today I'm in uh, Ursa's uh, sound room projecting and it's uh, not Ursa's program, it's Club Solutions program. 
and its REXIS program. Uh, but those three entities have made a, a great uh, example for the industry, which means we're going to do this again next week. And next week, it's going to be the URSA Club Solutions and REX webinar uh, for the industry. Uh, and so I'm proud of all three of those entities for shaking wow. hands, reaching across the aisle. And, you know, we're all trying to survive this thing together. And we're really all trying to help our colleagues out there be the best they can be. So thanks to URSA, thanks to Rex, thanks to Club Solutions, uh, and thanks to the panelists. We'll see all of you next week once again. Thanks, be man. Safe. Take care. See you thanks. next week.